Yep, at this point, I think we know the drill. Um, again, the questions, we'll take it at the end. Um, I, I jotted down uh, seven, seven Shilas, eh, six Shilas, that uh, we'll see how long it takes. So, you know, I'll run through them. It could be uh, 10, 15 minutes. It's a, it's a short share. And if there's any questions, I'm happy to take them afterwards. Um, the first thing, th- this could be a Dover Pasha. I think it's a Dover Pasha, but I wanted to, to raise the awareness because I was talking to someone, and I, I don't know if these Shilas are well known. We know the Chazal forbade, it's called Bishalakum. Bishalakum means that if a non-Jew cooks kosher food in your house or in their house, you're not allowed to eat the food. Even if everything's kosher, the dishes are kosher, the food's kosher, it's called Bishalakum. There's two primary reasons. The main reason, there's a secondary reason and a main reason. The main reason from the Paiskim is they were afraid of intermarriage. You go to a co-worker, they cook for you kosher food, you start to schmooze, guy, girl, they have a son, they have a daughter, and it could lead to bad things. And in order to just put up a fence and put up a distance, you're not allowed to eat food that they cooked. A second reason is we're afraid that they'll put non-kosher food in it. But the main reason from the Paiskin is that. Now, um, there are ways to avoid Bishalakim. I'll just mention this just because I mentioned that I should you know, clarify this is the major distinction in these halachas between Sfardim and Ashkenazim. For Ashkenazim to avoid Bishalakim again, the concern is intermarriage, and therefore Chazal said you have to do things differently in order to remind yourself, hey, we have to have a separation. So Svardim Ashkenazim hold that it would be enough to turn on the fire. That's the famous, even a pilot light, Amol, when they used to have pilot lights, but to turn on the fire. So for Ashkenazi Paiskim, if you turn on the fire, that's enough. Svardim disagree. They feel that turning on the fire is not enough. You have to, the, the Jew has to actually put the food down, to put the food on the fire. You have to actually participate in the cooking process. Turning on the fire is not enough. Which is why you have, I mean, it's interesting, Ravadi talks about this, that it's, it's an interesting thing that you have Svardim who eat by Ashkenazi like restaurants because uh, from their perspective, the food is, is primarily Bishalakum. Uh, because when you go to most of these places, the Jews are not cooking. It's the Jew, the Mashkiach turns on the fire. So I know some Svardi Rabbonim that they'll put the food down. Okay, it's like a chumrah. There are reasons to be makel that maybe we'll touch on. But I, I want to make this point clear, and that is, I think it's a double portion. The Shulchan Aruch brings down two opinions. Let's say you have Bishalakum. Whatever you define as Bishalakum, Sfarad Mashiach, you have Bishalakum. So obviously you can't eat the food. The Shailah is, does it treif up the kalim? Does it make the kalim non-kosher? There's two opinions in the Shulchan Aruch, and we, Paskin, Lichachila, Yes. It does trafe up the kalim. Now, if it's a kli that cannot be kashered like earthenware, okay, then there might be room to be makel. But ideally, if a non-Jew cooked in a pan or in a, in, a, in a pot, they cooked a soup, and it was not done in a permissible way, so you have to kasher the pot. You have to kasher it the same way you kasher it from any non-kosher. That's how we pass it. So I want to make this clear, just because avoid, avoid confusion. And Bishalakum applies very much so even if they're not cooking for a Jew. Meaning, some people have gotten this notion that if they want to cook for themselves, that's fine. It's only a problem if they're cooking for me. That is not true at all. If you have a non-Jew that is cooking, they want to make themselves eggs. They want to make themselves some, some eggs, and they make eggs for themselves. Not that, that pot, that pan is potentially treif. And it's something that's a big problem. By the way, just in general, so what are you going to say? So I was calling someone, so I told this to the person. They said, so what do I do if they want to cook? So a couple of things. First of all, I would tell you having a non-Jew feeling comfortable to cook in your kitchen is a bad idea. 
I would say that it's not something that should happen. But Lu Yitzur, it has to happen. So they have to have their own separate dishes. They cook their own dishes that are treif, and it's their dishes, and they keep it separate. It's the only way to do it. That's halacha number one. Just to clarify that point, that Bishalakum trafes up the kalim, and if a Nanju cooks for themselves, that's definitely Bishalakum. For sure it's a problem. Now, I want to make this point. Now, I'm going to tell you the heta that I feel comfortable, that I was mekabel from the Rabbonim, that I feel comfortable giving over. If it's not this case, you have to ask a shayla. Now, there are people that are just not careful with this, that they'll have uh, cleaning ladies, live-ins, that will cook food for their children during the day. Now, that could potentially be a very big problem. Now, I will say this, though. I was asked the following case. You have this. This happens all the time. You have an elderly person that's living alone, and they have a woman who takes care of them, and there's no one to turn on the fire. So that Maisa Shahaya in this neighborhood, there was a very chash of a lady. I'm not going to say she's no longer in this world, but she's a very chash of a lady, a very, very holy person. And she invited someone to her house. This is a Holocaust survivor. Mam Shachash of a person helped build this community. She, was a, she, she invited someone, like a cousin of hers to her house. And she said, I can't come because all your kalim are treif. So I get a call from this older woman crying. This Holocaust survivor crying, saying, is it true that my kalim are non-koshes? I said, first of all, of course not. I'll tell you there's a hetar. And it's a legitimate hetar. I'm not just saying this to make her feel better. The Paiskim bring this down. Ravad Yosef has a true about this in Chelek Hei, Vichavadah, Simon and Dalit, but it's other Paiskim. They all, they all discuss this. There are certain leniencies that you could put together, okay? And I would only feel comfortable putting this together for an elderly person who's a chayla, who has no one to turn on the fire. Maybe there are Rabbanim that would feel comfortable applying this heter to a person taking care of a young child. I personally wouldn't. You have to ask a shayla. The heter is based on a couple things. The issue of Bishalakum is as I said, the primary concern was intermarriage. Yeah, Intermarriage meaning, again, the case was, you have a non-Jew who says, hey, come over to my house, I'll cook you a nice dinner, thank you for working with me, you have a nice dinner, blah, 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 bad, bad, bad stuff. The primary concern was, you, you did me a favor, I feel affection towards you, the non-Jew cooks for you, I like that, it leads to feelings and bad stuff. The, the Rishayinim point out, and it's really from the Gemara, that if you have a non-Jew who's a slave, like an owned slave, not like a living, like an owned slave, there's no concern. Because if they cook for you, it's not like uh, affection. I, I, literally, this is your job. There were Rishayinim, it's a Machlekes Rajba and Ramban, but the Ramban extended this heter to cleaning women, to people that you pay, a Mishares, that if you pay someone to cook for you, that's part of their job, that they have to cook for you, then there's no concern of Bishalakum. Again, it's a machlekes, but that's the opinion of the Ramban, because again, the whole point of Bishalakum is affection for them doing you a favor. It's not a favor, I'm paying you. It's not going to lead to anything. It's a machlekes. That's one shayla. Brought down two opinions brought down in the Shulchan Aruch. The Ramah seems to indicate to be lenient, but there's two opinions brought down in the Shulchan Aruch. Separate shayla is the sheet of the Ravid. The Ravid held that there's no concern of Bishalakim in a Jewish home. The only concern of Bishalakim was in the non-Jews' home, because you're going to their house, they're inviting you for a meal. But in your home, uh, you're, it's home territory. There's not as much of a concern. Again, very debatable. You put them together, and you have that it's a chayla who legitimately has no option for someone to turn on the fire. There's makam to be mekel. 
Now, would I extend that to other cases? I personally wouldn't. Again, you ask a shayla if there's a competent rav who feels comfortable. Not type of manoim. The baby's in the same situation. The only difference is the reason why I see a difference. I'll tell you again. You ask a shayla if they could. The reason why I see a difference between an elderly and a babysitter is that the parents can make sure that there's food in the morning. An elderly person who's living alone has no choice. I personally wouldn't feel comfortable. But like I said, if someone were to tell me that they spoke to Rabbi A, B, or C who extended this heter to a babysitter, okay, I, I, I'm not going to say it's too big for my shoulders. I feel comfortable with a chayla, a chayla which Chazal are always more lenient with a chayla and has no alternative. The person's living with, there's no one to take care of them as opposed to a, a child where the parents can potentially cook food every single morning, make sure there's food for them. I, I personally would feel more comfortable but like I said, that, but th- this is the background to that heter. Okay. Um, according to the records of Ramban, does that heter apply this to a restaurant? Because you're hired, the cooks are hired. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, potentially, it's interesting. I've never saw that extended. But I, I, yeah, I guess if you're, yeah, all hired staff, the Ramban would be lenient. But that would, you'd lose the other heter of the house of a Jew, maybe. Yeah, you'd also, yeah. So but, but, yeah, yeah, no. But like I said, I, I still wouldn't, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm not mistaken. I, I, I should. I read it today, but I had a bit of a um, bit of a migraine, so I, I don't want to be silent myself. But I'm pretty sure that Ravadia, if I'm not mistaken, what happens if you have? I think Ravadia was asked the following: that you have Svardim who'll sometimes be eating by an Ashkenazi's house, and the Ashkenazi person will rely on the Rama who turning on the fire is enough. Svardim feel that you need more. Is there anything there? So I believe Ravadia said that if you take the Ravid, that it's in the house of a Jew, you take the Ramban. That it's um, you pay them, and you take the Ramah, and it's a rabbinic prohibition. I, I believe so. So yeah, uh, uh, potentially that might be maybe perhaps why some Svaradim will go to Ashkenazi restaurants, right? They'll go to an Ashkenazi restaurant, even though like, and I, I mentioned before that like I've seen like Svaradish Rabbanim put the food down, but that's always, that was always funny to me because if you pass in that the kalim are non-kosher, then they, then from their perspective the kalim are non-kosher, so unless that you say that you have the hired staff, which is the Ramban, and you have the Ramah who felt that it's permissible, you put that together. And it's not so posh that the kalim become non-kosher. You put all this together. But that's, that's what the Rabbanim are basically doing. If you ever ask a Rav about these shilas, about non-kosher cooks and all these things, after the fact, what they're doing is they're taking the Ramban, they're taking the Ravid, and they're taking the Ramah, and there's some permutation of these three things putting it together. Um, okay. I, I don't think that would make much of a difference, like a mashkiach tamidi. Uh, if you didn't turn on the fire, I would think it's a problem. I will say this, though. Rabbi Olbaum said in a tshuva, I, I read this uh, recently, uh, today, he, has a, he had a tshuva about this, um, and Rabbi Olbaum said that even if you're going to be lenient, whatever the leniency is, you, you do need to be present because there's always a second concern that the non-Jew will put non-kosher food in. So he says, like, all these haterim, you still need a mashkiach there. It's like, if, like, a, a non like, a, a restaurant, right, you know, the, 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 this is actually, it was interesting, I was talking to someone, he said, that I think the OU's policy, I, I probably sh- should have checked this up before I spoke, I'm too late now, but I think the OU's policy is that they require mashkiach to me in all restaurants. And maybe one of the reasons is because even if a mashkiach turns on the fire and then just leaves, you always have that secondary concern of well, what's in the you know what's in the what's in the food. Um, okay, so the third shaila is that was the first two moving moving right along. Um, the third shaila now w- 
this is a bit unfair what I'm about to do because um, we've spoken about this before. There's no greater uh, sugya that's minhagim based than I think Avelos. Um, so I'm I, I shouldn't be doing. I'm going to tell you one opinion <laughs> again. But this I want to make it clear. You have to ask a shaila, but unless you follow the opinion, the rov that I'm about to quote. But someone asked me just just before as I got in here, so I thought it was kedai. Um, we know that in Avel during the year of Avelos. Um, has to avoid parties, has to avoid celebrations, get-togethers, music, all, you know, all these things. Um, and it, again, it's so complicated, a bar mitzvah and all these things. There's so many minhagim. You have to ask a shayla. But the shayla was a Purim suda, right? It's a mitzvah to have a suda on Purim. So you have your suda that you go to every year with your family. It's a get-together. Sometimes they sing, sometimes there's music. What's the status of a Purim suda? So I'm, I'm just going to read you three lines from Rabbi Olbaum. Rabbi Olbaum, uh, who, again, he's my my personal paisik in the, in, uh, for everything. So he has a sefer called Chuk Echaim. He just came out uh, recently. Um, that's his, his opinions on Avelus. And he brings down as follows. It's permissible for an Avel to invite guests to his house. Or to be a guest. By a Purim Suda. Now why? I thought you're not supposed to get together. Because he's required to have a Suda. So he's fulfilling his obligation. And he's allowed to go to a party to fulfill his obligation. Now I will say this. I would think, I think Rabbi Olbam indicates this in the, in the footnotes. I would think that this is only if it's something that he's accustomed to doing. I, I think that if, I think it's also pretty seichotik uh, that for a person in Avelis, if he never goes to a Purim Suda, I can't imagine that this is the year to start looking for a party. But the point is, if he generally goes to a party, a Purim Suda, with family, with friends, a neighborhood Purim Suda, whatever it is, he's allowed to continue to do so. Even if there's music there. You're allowed to be there the entire Suda, because again, you're not going there as an optional party, you're fulfilling your obligation, and you're allowed to fulfill your obligation in the regular way you always do. If that happens to be a public Suda, that's what you normally do, then call a Kavod. If that has music there, that's fine. But this is where Rabbi says an interesting Kiddush. Um, I think they changed the clock March 13th, which means that's after Purim. So Purim, again, I don't know the exact manim, but Purim is going to be over, let's say, 6.30. Pick a number. Around 6.30-ish, right? A lot of times, people suda will start at 4.30 and it keep, keep going, keep going, keep going. So you're an Avel who's at the suda, which I just said is permissible, but like Purim's been over for three hours. Like at some point, when do you have to leave? So Avelvim says... This is uh, brought down from Revel Yashiv, that he says, As long as they haven't benched, Purim can technically be over, but as long as you haven't benched yet, you may continue to be there. Because again, you're still in the Purim Suda. However, once benching takes place, once sunset has already happened, which means it's a possibility that Purim is over, and you've benched, Rabbi Olman says you, you, you have to leave uh, the Purim Suda, and especially if there's music. Again, I just want, like I said, there's uh, so many opinions, so many mehugim. I just brought this down because this is my, my personal paisik, but again, ask your uh, local Orthodox uh, rabbi for uh, details in this topic. Uh, oh, okay, there you go. So, um, okay, a couple more topics. One, just a super quick one, just to mention, just because if someone asked me recently, I just want to throw it out there. Um, meat thermometers do not require tefillah's kalim. 
Um, the reason being is because they're not meant uh, to be used in the preparation of food. Uh, while they do help you know when the temperature is ready, it's not called in the preparation of food. So it doesn't require tefillah's kalim. Um, okay, just wanted to mention that that was a super quick one. Uh, another halacha, this came up recently, someone asked me to clarify, and that is there are brachas that you make on aroma, on smells. There are primarily three brachos. Now, there's a bit misconception because, oh, this could have gone on the misconception here. We know that the most common one people make is Matzei Shabbos, which is Borei Mine. But Borei Mine is actually almost never the appropriate bracha. Um, let me explain. You have basically three brachas that you could make. Atzei, Isve, and Hanosin Reach Tov Beperos. Now, Hanosin Reach Tov Beperos, that's for smelling uh, fruit, edible foods. So if you take a lemon that smells very nice, you'd make hanosin reach tov beperis. Um, okay, then you have atse. Atse is on anything that has a hard stem that lasts from year to year, like a rose, a hard-stemmed uh, plant or tree, a hard-stemmed plant, you make atse. If it's a soft-stem plant, like rosemary, which is very soft, then it would be isve. So you have atse, isve, and Hanosin Reich Tov Those are the three. So where does Borimine come from? We know that's what we make on Matzei Shabbos. The truth is, Borimine B'Samim was actually never meant uh, as a Lechachila. Borimine historically was the bracha that you would make when you don't know what it is. Meaning if you have something that is, uh, you take like a, it's, a, it's like a twigs that are chopped up. There's no way to know what it was in its original form. So it's a suffix. So Bore Mine is the Suffolk bracha. It's the bracha that's made for Sveikas. It's not made initially. I think the only thing it's initially for is musk of an animal, which never smells good. So that's like it's neither growing. Or, but but uh, Bore Mine is actually never the Lechachila bracha. The reason why people think it is is because Matzei Shabbos, it's the bracha, Mishabura says, it's the bracha that we say in Havdalah. Why? Because Chazal knew that these brachas are a little bit complicated. And when people are making Havdalah, they shouldn't have to worry about you know, that in the middle of Havdol, the guy, the father shouldn't have to turn and say, what is this? It's a atse isve. And therefore, the decision was bore mine. Yeah? Bore mine But the truth is, that's the lechachila matzei Shabbos. But every other time, it's it's not going to be the bracha that you make. Listen, if you're not sure what it is, okay, and you can't ask anybody, so then you say bore mine. But it's either atse isve or hanosin reich tov beperis. Um, story. Anyway, so those are the... the you have Atse Isve or Hanosin Reich Tov Beperis. Those are the brachas you're going to make. If you're ever going to smell Besam. By the way, Pashtus, if it's a chemical, we don't make brachas on chemicals. Um, even for Matzei Shabbos, I, I don't think I would use it. It's a Shaila in the Poiskim. It's a Machloikis. I would not personally use perfume or cologne for Besamim. It's a Machloikis. Some say you could make a bracha, but others feel that because it's not a natural uh, scent, it doesn't require a bracha. So for during the week, it's not a gay because just don't make a bracha. But on Matzei Shabbos, I personally would not uh, use cologne or perfume uh, for besamim. Okay, um, two more shilas. Two more shilas. Um, this is something I mentioned on a Friday night, but I wanted to just, first of all, repeat it. And I just wanted to explain because I, I said it fairly quickly. One of the, there are three tefillahs that the Shulchan Aruch brings down that you're supposed to say whenever you're with the kahila. You walk into a kahila and they're and they're saying something. You're always supposed to stop what you're doing and say it with them. And that's Ashrei, Shema, and Aleinu. Those are the three brachas. But it's just the kedoma. It's like 
Uchadome, but the, yeah, but but I've seen in the modern day in the Paiskim they only apply it to those three. I've never seen it apply to any other tefillah. I know what you're saying, but I've never seen it to any any other tefillah. So, um, so okay, Aleinu. I'm going to focus on Aleinu for a second. This is a shaila that I mentioned Friday night, and I just wanted to repeat, and that is. I understand that you're supposed to say Aleinu with the Tzibar. By the way, Shema is actually very severe. Shema, if you're up to a different point of davening with the Kehila, you're supposed to stop what you're doing and say Shema. It depends what you're up to. If you're up to um, up to Yishtabach, you're supposed to, and they say Shema, you're supposed to stop and say Shema with the Tzibar. Past Yishtabach, meaning during Birchus Kriya Shema, huh? Just the first Pasuk. Because you're in the middle of davening. Now, from Yishtabach on... We, it's a shayla, but we pass them. Shabura says you don't say shema, but what you do is you cover your eyes and you say the psukim like it's shema. So meaning you say it as if, so it looks and sounds like the tzibur saying it together. It, but that's up to yishtabach. Now that's shema. Now shema. By the way, I was told this again. I, I don't know if this is true, but in some sedurim, I noticed this one has it that at the end of Az Yashir, there is in, in in the parentheses it says Ubataraschah Kasev Leimar Shema Yisrael Shem Lekeno Shem I saw in a certain safe, I forgot which one that maybe it might have been Mini Yisrael Torah that he theorized that the reason why this is added, this is obviously not part of Az uh, Yashir, but the reason why is because this is to tell you that this is the last point. That you would stop to say with the Kehila Shema Yisrael. From this point on, you would not say Shema Yisrael. Again, I, I don't know if it's true, but that's, I saw this in a certain safer. I forgot to check up where, but that was. Okay, so now Ashra, now Shema, you could understand, is very severe because that's Kabbalah's Amulcha Shemayim. When the Tzibur is Mekabbalah Amulcha Shemayim, you gotta stop what you're doing, Mekabbalah Amulcha Shemayim with the Tzibur. Aleinu is not, not as severe as you could imagine. However, it's still very important to do that. So the Shaila that I mentioned, that Rav Yaakov Hillel, Rabbi Yaakov Hillel is a big Paisik in Eretz Yisrael, but he's specifically uh, an expert in Kabbalistic concepts. He was, he's a big, big Mekubal, and he knows the history of uh, any halacha that's affecting, that's affected by Kabbalah and intertwined with Kabbalistic concepts. He's the, you know, the go-to. So Rabbi Yaakov Hillel was asked the following shayla. If you have, Nusach Ashkenaz has it that after Uval they say, uh, uh, Aleinu and the Shishliyim. Is it Aleinu and the Shishliyim? Okay, it's been a long time since I done my last Aleinu and the Shishliyim. So they sing Aleinu right away after Valtzian. Nusach Svard. They say Shishliyim Kave Inkelikenu and then Aleinu. So there's going to be discrepancies. So the Shaila was they asked Rav Yaakov Hillel if you're a Svard a Nusach Svard who's davening in a Nusach Ashkenaz Kehila, the Shul will get to Aleinu before you. They're going to get to Aleinu when you're up to Shir Shalyom. So the question is, you have two choices. You could continue with your style and just do your own thing and get to Aleinu at your own pace, or you could say Aleinu with the Tzibar, um, and sort of then Aleinu is a little bit out of order, because now Aleinu is now being said before Shir Shalyom. So Rav Chaim Kinevsky is of the opinion, what's that in Sefer Yishe Yisrael, he brings down that Rav Chaim says you have to say Aleinu with the Tzibur. Now yes, and it wouldn't just be the first line, say the entire Aleinu with the Tzibur. It's out of order, but they're up to Aleinu, you should say Aleinu with them. That's Rav Chaim Kinevsky's opinion. Rav Yaakov Hillel disagrees. He says, while Shema, you have to stop what you're doing and say it with the Kila when you're in Davening, he says Aleinu is not that severe. He says the Indian of saying Aleinu with the Tzibur is, if you're not Davening, and you're in the shul, you're sitting there in the shul waiting for your minion, waiting to get somebody, and they say Aleinu, how could you sit back when everyone is saying Aleinu L'Shabayach, how do you not say Aleinu with them? However, if you're davening at your own pace, and you're in your own Isaac and Tefillah, you don't have to stop. Then Rav Yaakov Hillel says, you shouldn't stop, because Rav Yaakov Hillel writes that the order of davening, according to every Nusach, has 
not just halachic uh, properties, but it has Kabbalistic components as well. He calls it mahapach tzinoiris, that you're taking the pipes of davening and you're playing around with it, and that shouldn't happen. And he says, if you daven nusel svard, then it's supposed to be volatzian, shir shalyom, kave, and then aleinu, in that specific order. And for you to go out of order is inappropriate, and it's not required in this case because you're davening anyway. And that's Rav Yaakov Elel's uh, shitas. That's Machlekes Rav Yaakov and Ruchan Kiyaski. Again, anyone that's more inclined to Kabbalah will probably follow Rav Yaakov Elel, and anyone that's more of a halachic would probably go Rav Chaim Kinevsky. But again, you have to ask a Shiloh. But that's the background of that Shiloh. So, so you're asking what would be the opposite? If you're a Nusach Ashkenaz in a Nusach Svarkila, then that's probably an easy thing. You just sit and you wait. You sit and you wait because you finished. Yeah, yeah that, that, that I would probably advise just waiting. You wait, that way you could say Elena with the Tzibar, if you have time, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would think that that's, that's what I would do, if it's the opposite uh, situation. Yeah, oh. Ex- yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a good time. Now, okay, one more Shaila, um, one more Shaila, and then if there's any questions, I'm happy to take. Uh, the last Shaila was, I was asked, um, you're watching a Zoom shear. I was watching a Zoom shear uh, this past week. Uh, Rav Gamliel Rabinowitz was giving a shear. He gives a shear every Thursday. I was watching the Zoom shear, and it was Tubishvat. And he was making all these brachas. So someone asked me, who was also on the Zoom shear, do you answer Amin? So it's like this. Um, first of all, if there's a time delay or if it's not live, obviously not, because there's no bracha being said currently. But let's say it's a Zoom. So it's happening right now. You hear a bracha being said right now. Do you answer Amen? So I'll tell you like this. Let's start off the bat. There's a sheet of Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha Feinstein and the Chazanish held the following thing. Rabbi Zalman was very strong. He was a very strong component. He wrote truths about this. He wrote a lot about this, a whole sefer. Rav Shlomo Zalman wrote a whole sefer uh, called Me'orei Eish on electricity. When he was in his... I think he was 18. He was 18. Or no, he was 28. He was 28. He was a young man. He was a young Kailo man. What's interesting is Rechaim Moiser wrote in his Askam. It's just interesting how he's talking about Rechaim Zalman. That this young, you know, this young Kailo man is writing about this. So Rechaim Zalman wrote a whole sefer on electricity. Rechaim Zalman feels very strongly that when a person is making a bracha using davening, Zoom, phones, radios, anything that is not present in the room, you are not yoytze the mitzvah. Meaning, you cannot be mighty someone over the phone. That's what Shalim Zalman Shita. Why? Because, he said, the way it works is when I'm speaking to you, you're hearing uh, sound waves. But over the phone, it gets converted from sound to either, if it's radio, it's radio, or it's electronic waves, and then it's back to sound. So because it's not the actual voice of the person, Shalim Zalman Shita, you're not yoytze. He brings down the bottom that when he spoke to the Chazanish, the Chazanish disagreed. The Chazanish says, why can't you be yoytze the mitzvah? But not kiyash shoifer, because that's a different, because that you can't hear echoes. But, but why can't you be mighty someone over, Chazanish said, who said that when the Torah, when I'm speaking to you, you're not hearing my voice, my sound waves is causing reverberations, reverberations, and it's affecting, and then it's going to, see, he said, who said that it has to be sound waves originated from the person? Maybe it's sound waves that's happening at the same time that started from the person, but it could change to radio waves in between. Chazanish said, who, who says that you can't be might see someone that way? Ramosha Feinstein held the same way. According to Ramosha, if you have someone, you have a, a go to the case with an elderly person, just because it's an easy case. So you have a Valis Truvo who doesn't know how to read, can't, doesn't feel comfortable doing this. According to Ramosha, you could be might see someone half a over the phone. As long as it's happening, you could be might see someone over the phone. That's Ramosha Shita. Chazanish held the same way. Rosh Hashanah held very strongly, not gonna, cannot be Yaisis. Okay, so 
According to her Moshe and the Chazanish, you would definitely be able to answer Amin because you could be mighty someone over Zoom. You definitely would answer Amin to Brachas over Zoom. Definitely, it's a Kavachoymer. The Shaila is what would Rishon Zalman say about it? Rishon Zalman, who felt that you cannot be mighty people over the radio and over Zoom, so what would he say about Amin? So the truth is, there's a famous Gemara in Sukkah that there was a shul in Alexandria, Alexandria Shalmatzrayim. This shul was so big that when the Chazan would do Chazar Sashatz, you wouldn't be able to hear him from the front. They would wave flags. And when they would wave flags, everyone would say, Amen. Paiskim say, Ayu didn't hear it. Say, the, the Mishaburah explains, there's a difference between what type of bracha. If the person is being mitzi you, then you have to hear the bracha to answer Amen. If it's a bracha that you're not being yaitze, someone's not making a bracha shahakal for themselves, and you get the wave, then the ikr is just knowing a bracha is being said. If you're being yoytzeh the mitzvah with that bracha, you have to hear it. If you're not being yoytzeh the mitzvah, just stam, a bracha is being said, then it's enough just to know the bracha is being said currently. Waving the thing is an indicator. That's all you need is an indicator. So Zakr Shalom if you hear a bracha over the radio, over Zoom, it would depend. If it's a bracha that they're being you, meaning it's the type of bracha that they're attempting to be you. They're not accomplishing it, and you can't answer Amit. But if it's the bracha that they're not being you, then it's just you need an indicator. The same way in Alexandria, Shul's and Mitzrayim, they wave the flag. So the Zoom is no different. I, I, can, I know because I hear it that is an indicator that the bracha is going to be said, and therefore you'd be able to answer Amit. So the Rav Sheet is you'd be able to answer Amit, but according to Rosh Hashanah, you would have to know what bracha they're up to. Now, by the way, just Agav, um, there's actually a very big side machlekas. You're going to say, okay, this is Negea telephones, radios, and micro- microphones. Okay, so okay, so though who's it? It's also Negea hearing aids, right? Hearing aids, cochlear implants, those, the people are not hearing, they're hearing, right? The same, if the mamish can't hear without it, then they're hearing that your voice is going, and it's going through the cochlear implant, or through the hearing aid, and again, Roshleim Zalman would tell you, you're not Yaitzah the mitzvah. Now, okay, so you don't have to be yaitzah the mitzvah. You're an oynis. Ramosher, the chazanish would disagree. If I'm not mistaken, I believe the chazan Rishlam Zaman wrote in a letter to the chazanish that the chazanish gave him nechama because his mother had just started wearing a hearing aid. So he said, "You who say that you're yaitzah by a microphone, you're giving me nechama because now my mother is, be, is still being able to be yaitzah mitzvah." But it would be negay of whether someone with those conditions would be able to be mighty someone. According to Rishon Zalman, he's not Yoyse. If you ain't a Yoyse, you can't be mighty. According to Ramosha, potentially not. Again, you would be able to. So that, that's the type of... That, yeah, that's, fine. That, that's the type of Shaila. Again, that would be Negea Amen. And Negea the Mitzvah in general, it would be Tully totally, totally in this, in this, uh, this Shaila. Um, okay, good. any questions? If not, maybe we'll stop here and I'll, over the week I'll, uh, I'll write some more.